going on family this is josh and we are back for another edition of sunday school and today um, we're going to have a really great conversation i got one of my frat brothers here um my boy robert wallace is in the building tell the people who you are and what you do man man i appreciate the intro my name is robert wallace i am the director of operations at kip antioch college prep elementary one of nashville's newest charter schools um, in the southeast nashville community uh, i'm in my third year with kip antioch that's what's up, man. So let's let's dive straight into the conversation. Um, how what is the current state of our educational system? Specifically, you know, in black and brown communities, education has always been kind of like the bedrock of our communities, um, even in li- aligning it with our faith. A lot of times churches, I mean, schools start in churches um, mm-hmm. for HBCUs. You know, we started like Morehouse specifically. I know we started in the basement. We started off as a theological seminary. Um, but all of that aside, it kind of links to our heritage heritage into our history so what is the current state of education specifically for us as black folk right now to be honest with you like the first word that comes to mind is dysfunction okay Uh, (laughs) i i think that like um we have to name that like we are forced to operate in a system that was not meant for us to excel Mm -hmm. um succeed and i and i think i hate to say this but it sounds so normal for me to say that right like that didn't strike you like you weren't appalled when i said that like you didn't really react when i said that but like that is like injustice right Mm -hmm. when you force a group of people to navigate or operate in a system that's not traditionally made for them to um be successful and so when i think about my experience as a black student growing up in nashville i'm just adding some context like yeah i've been here in nashville um, I grew up in Antioch, so I went to Antioch Public School or National Public Schools, J.E. Moss, JFK, Antioch High School, then I stayed here for college. So, like, all that I know is here in, in Nashville. And so, when I think about my experience, man, like, your quality of education was determined mm-hmm. by your zip code. Like, if, if, if you couldn't afford to go to a private school or if you weren't lucky enough to be chosen in a lottery for a magnet school or maybe you didn't even have the test scores to um like qualify for the lottery your destiny was predetermined unless you had um a support system at home to push Mm -hmm. and thankfully like that's what my mom was for me and like that's what my grandparents were for me is like that support system to really push me like other students were being pushed in more challenging um, in more challenging uh, academic settings. And so like, I like knew that like in order for me to get a similar education that like my Hume Fogg or MLK peers received, mm-hmm. those are two high schools in Nashville that are like top in the state okay. um, for me to get a comparable experience. Like I knew I had to take honors and AP courses, but what happens to like students that don't have that in or like what happens to mm-hmm. students don't have that support system at home they fall behind um and to be honest with you like our system like is structured for you to like really not think critically it's structured for you to like do regurgitate and perform and that's it now i think we are kind of moving towards like a more project-based learning initiative or framework where we're asking students to 
think more critically about the content that they're learning. Um, but even then, it's like, man, we're creating, I mean, we are using books in our classrooms, textbooks in our classrooms that are not only outdated, but are absolutely wrong. Yeah. Um, and then also, it's like bringing it back to that initial word of like dysfunction. It's like, you know, if I'm a student that's operating in this, like when I learn about people that look like me, it's always like me being like the uh, oppressed and me having, um, me not being good enough, like no matter what content we're learning in or learning from, like that's the role. Um, and so like what I really appreciate, like although being in quarantine and, um, and you know, operating virtual, like al- although it, it has like posing various like challenges mm-hmm. allowed us to disrupt the system and education will never be what it once was like now, like, the first day of school for my kindergartners, like they were on Zoom, minimizing their screen, yeah, splitting their screen. Like I didn't have access to technology in that way until eighth grade, ninth grade. Um, and so like, what does that mean? And so like, we launched this remote program back in the spring when we initially went under quarantine, like, but we, we immediately noticed like, oh, like there's an equity there off the bat because we're doing virtual learning, but we're not provide like we're not giving students and families the resources to be successful. Mm-hmm. So we, we actually started going virtual back in March and April and we finished the spring semester virtual. Yeah. But like we were hosting courses that were considered optional. But like if I'm a black kid and both of my parents work or maybe I live in a single parent household, my mom works, who's going to help me navigate this new world of learning? You know, my teacher told me to log on to Zoom, but like, I actually don't have a computer. And then like, we tried to fix that. And we said like, oh, we're going to, we're going to give every student a Chromebook or mm-hmm. we're gonna families Chromebooks that need them. Then we realized like, oh, everyone doesn't actually have internet. So like, we are creating systems and then we are not aware of the barriers that are embedded within the systems that we are creating, which is problematic. And then lastly, to tie it back to dysfunction, it's like, People that look like you and I are not in the right rooms, not in the right circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have people that don't look like us making decisions that impact our present and our future. And until we get people that look like us in boardrooms, um, in school boardrooms, <clears throat> in executive school leadership, our interest won't be considered. Um, and I think that's a huge problem that perpetuates that dysfunction. You said so much. Um, and you took me back to when I was in high school. So I went to I'm from Memphis. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's that. I'm not going to hold the fact that you're from Nashville against you too, too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I went to um, Hillcrest High School and it was maybe I want to say 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes up the up the road from Whitehaven High School, which was both were predominantly black schools but the other white haven was the school of the community it had the better football team and you know all athletics in general it had the ap courses it was considered an optional program um so mm-hmm. an, a, a, a totally honor school right hillcrest was the school that people frowned upon but it also set in an area where you had a lot of mixed income so you had some really low income apartments but you had like doctors and lawyers living on one side right and some mm-hmm. of those parents opted to send their children to Whitehaven. my parents was like nope 
you're going to your zone school. So to mm-hmm. that point, um, I, I I understand the disparity that our school district created right there within a maybe seven to 10 mile radius with mm-hmm. Whitehaven being completely funded differently versus we're fighting for supplies in our, um, in our science labs. But to your point, I also had to take all honors and all AP and people were asking, how the heck did you have a 5.3 GPA? I was like, because mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was taking AP classes since I was like a, 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 a sophomore and I had to like dually enroll. I felt like I did anyway with at Southwest Community College my senior year, just so that I felt like mm-hmm. I could compete on the collegiate level and have some of the same <clears throat> opportunities. I had to fight so hard to make it seem like that I was good enough or, you know, or equal or better than some of my mm-hmm. peers who were right up the street. And I think those are real problems, like you said, that aren't being addressed by the right people in the right rooms. Because it makes absolutely no sense why there are such huge gaps in just funding and um, educational. And I had amazing teachers. Um, I had amazing administrators, but you could feel um, the imbalance between what Mm -hmm. what I dealt with and, you know, what my what my peers dealt with up the street. So, like, what is, I guess, one of the most front facing issues that you just see kind of generally um, across the board in school systems? resources like everybody like achievement gap has been like this go-to hot topic term over the last like 10 years and yeah it's something that like charter schools and and even teach for america like we like i'm a i was a tfa core member and that's how i was introduced to education gotcha Um, and i've mainly worked in charter schools um but like when i think about like the root cause of the achievement gap it's it, it points me in the direction of the resource gap so like you just mentioned like two schools that were pretty much in the same neighborhood, mm-hmm. but like students received two different experiences. And that's because of like, you can look and see that computers look different, hallways feel different. Um, even like sometimes more like the parking lot, the aesthetics of the school mm-hmm. a lot different. Um, and, and that like, if you are a student at the school that doesn't have like those resources, like you're internalizing it and you're trying to make sense of it all, and you, like, inherit that low self-esteem about Mm -hmm. who you are and how to operate. Um, And so, like, no matter if you're talking about Memphis or Nashville, Chicago, Detroit, it's like, we see, like, if we pull the schools that are operating um, that have the lowest academic data, I guarantee you they will have the highest number of um, they, they will be title one schools and they will have mm-hmm. the highest number of students that are on free and reduced lunch. But like, just because like, I can like, just because like they have certain economic forces that prevent them from accessing certain things, like that should not have any impact on the type of education that they receive. You know what I mean? It's like, right. by law students are like, by law students have to be in school. And it's like, I still see examples of like separate but not equal, you know, and oh, absolutely, you know, we're talking about things that like, that's something that we thought we got over years ago, but like, no, I mean, it's in, it's in every school district. And I think until we give like, because like the student, like you all at your school and the students at the other school that you referenced, like y'all took the same AP test. Y'all took the same TCAP, the same test. <laughs> right. But, like y'all had different resources different experiences that you all could not control. And so it's like, actually, if we're going to assess students, if we're going to use the same tool of assessment across the board, 
we have to give our students like the same resources and not just give them the resources, but like teach them how to use the resources advantageously. And that's like the most upfront inequity that I see. It's like, man, like, I don't, I don't even know what you know. I don't even know what you don't know, but I also, I see where you like, like I see where you learn mm-hmm. um, and not just like the aesthetics piece, but like how teachers and administrators navigate between schools. Um, and I think you mentioned something that resonated with me, but like you are able to like, you and I enrolled in those courses because like we had awareness, mm-hmm. which then created access. If you are not aware that my school looks different from yours, you will not have access to the opportunities that could equalize the experience. Right, right. No, you're right. And I think another thing, as you were talking to me, think about accessing resources, even internally, right? Because I was part of the, I ended up graduating salutatorian. So part of that top 10% or whatever of my high school and reflected, I was actually have a conversation with my mom, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about a, a, a student that we knew who was on her way to college, that we know who's on her way to college. And I was just talking through how as much as like, I know that my high school had its challenges, but again, I received a really great education. I had a great experience. However, what I'm also able to understand is that I had a certain level of privilege within my high school because of where I was academically, right? So there were programs, like I ended up doing this foreign exchange program that was only presented to me and the valedictorian of our class. Like they, they didn't even announce it to the entire school. They hand selected us and was like, we know that you two have a shot. I ended up getting it. There were other programs and opportunities and scholarships and things. And, and to a point, I kind of get it. You want to present whatever it is, the cream of the crop and the best of the best. But at the same time, there were other students who are, who I knew were just as capable, but to your point, did not understand the level of access that was necessary or did not understand how they needed to navigate some of those systems. And oftentimes our administrators also did not provide them that exposure. So they were kind of left to figure this thing out on top of them not having adequate resources, but also kind of left to try to figure this thing out by themselves. Is that something that you're also seeing? Like there's a disparity you know, um, among the different schools or whatever, but also how maybe administrators and educators are treating students within these institutions. For sure, because it's like, <clears throat> before you are an administrator or a teacher, like you are a person that's in, like operating in the same society that I'm mm-hmm. in. And like, when I put on my administrator hat, like my biases don't go away. Like what I think about your community doesn't go away. Now it it adjusts like things that I can say and things that I can't say, but like how I feel about you and what I think about you is still like, will still hold true. Um, I think that like, for me, I think the biggest thing about access is letting or awareness is actually letting our students know or informing our students of the various pathways, because this is something that we like at my school are trying to um, adjust. And we've even changed our mission statement. Like, right. Like we had to change a piece of our, DNA in order to realize this change. But it's like for so long, we've pushed like college readiness, college access, which of course, like, there's no doubt, like once you go to college, you have greater access to various opportunities. Like that's just, it is what it is. Like that's Mm -hmm. that we operate in. But like, what about, what message does that send to, to students that don't see college in their future, right? Does that automatically mean that they 
won't have access to a choice-filled life or a productive life. No, we know that's not true, right? But like, does that mean that like in the system that we're all operating in, does that mean that they will be at a disadvantage if they don't have this sheet of paper that constitutes them as worthy? Absolutely. Um, but like if more students know about trade and about, you know, like I'm, you know, military and, mm-hmm. you know, ingenuity and like STEM, I, I really believe like that would increase student engagement. But like circling back to like my initial thought, like, well, if the school does not have resources to support those pathways, yeah. then we're, it's like a, we're going in circles. Um, but like we have to let like students have to know and feel like, all right, there are options, there are pathways. I mean, I think about like all of these different apps that are surfacing, like, you know, social media, um, like Facebook, MySpace, Snapchat, like all of these cool things. Like never did I once like conceptualize the thought of building an app to connect others, which seems like a really like, and when you like, dilute it down like it's super basic when you think about it but mm-hmm. i never thought that that was an i never thought that like i could like entrepreneurship right like that's something that a lot of that, that's something that was not taught in my case oh, yeah. experience but like when you look at more affluent communities entrepreneurship ingenuity like those are things that are celebrated um but like that creativity piece like our students like like our black and brown students are super creative um and it's like how can we compound on that interest right like how can we make sure that they're able to productively tap into what their divine purpose is Mm -hmm. how can we support that because like putting you know circles and squares like we're gonna fail every single time so how has and you mentioned something um about the the take some of the technology barriers with the pandemic and rona um because my my children started their first day of school today too and again i have a kindergartner he was he actually had, we're privileged enough to him to be on his ipad and his chromebook so that he doesn't have to do as much flipping screens mm-hmm. and things like that um uh, but what i guess beyond technology what are some of that gets the more front facing challenges or maybe things that's like, aha, maybe this could work that the pandemic has, has, has shown about our education system. Um, I think immediately once we decided to go 100% remote, I thought about the need to involve our parents more. Mm -hmm. And I think for a very long time, we have operated under the, mindset of like we are educators we know what's best we know the right pedagogy to employ we know the right framework to execute um we are the like the holders of like all things that happen in the classroom but man now it's like parents are extensions of the classroom like Mm -hmm. if we can't figure out a way to leverage parents this will not work um And so we also made a huge assumption though, right? Like we said that like, all right, like we're going to get every student a Chromebook. We're going to make sure they have access to internet. So we're going to get them a hotspot. We're going to download all the applications that they need. We're going to give them all of the supplies that they need. But like we were actually making a huge assumption that like that student had a parent there to be with them for most of the day. Yeah. So like I think about my work day, like, if I had a child, like it would be very hard for me to navigate both 
worlds of like parent and also employee. And what frustrates me is that like we like we have patterns of like creating variations of the system without addressing the barriers that that are symptoms of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that was like the the most in our face in our face like assumption was just like yo like we don't even know if we we give them all of the materials but like we don't even know if parents are available to support us yeah. through this. And man, to be honest with you, like our parents, I'm only speaking for my school, but like our parents have really, you know, showed up and, and showed out. Like our percent in attendance has been like 97% daily, um, less than 10 students absent daily. And we have about 420 students. Um, we have about 420 students in our school. So we're talking like, I mean, that's a very small percentage. Yeah. Um, but like, we haven't valued parents and by we, I mean the education system that like we yeah. haven't, valued, or excuse me, we haven't included, that's a better word. Like we haven't included parents intentionally throughout students learning process. And I think now we're forced to because they're extensions of the classroom. And so, and then it's like, that's one, but then the other one is like, how do we assess student outcomes? Like, how do we know this is working? What are the, like the benchmarks that we're going to use that tell us like, all right, this student is learning versus this student is not learning. And then I think about like, what about the students that don't have, that have, um, that, are con- that, that need other types of academic support, mm-hmm. extra academic support. Um, maybe they, you know, used to meet in, like meet with the counselor once a week. Um, maybe they have an IEP that requires different modifications and accommodations and like how can we support that student how can we make sure that despite what your learning ability is like there won't be inequity in the learning process and I think that's something that I don't know that we as a school system have have nailed down because that would affect I mean just the whole technology piece I would assume that's going to affect how we do standardized testing how maybe we even measure um, success on standardized tech. Have there been conversations about? I know because I think the, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I have nieces and nephews in Memphis. Didn't Tennessee cancel TCAT last year? Yeah, right? so they canceled TN Ready uh, last year, and they actually canceled all state testing. Okay. Uh, and then it just made me think, like, well, it couldn't be that important for us to just cancel and not make a way, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, well is this really a test that we need to continue to administer or are there other ways to get this data? Maybe not. Maybe there aren't other ways. Maybe we just had like our hand was forced, but it just made me think about like what's actually important in a student's academic experience, which translates to like from the elementary, from like the elementary school experience, like what translates into you know, making sure a student transitions and has a strong middle school experience and yeah. transition has a strong high school experience. And then how does that matriculate into a student's professional career or, you know, collegiate career? Um, and so, like, I think, like, we are in a position to where we can have these difficult conversations and play with a, a few different experiences to, to create a pathway that is inclusive and that is equitable. I think that's so true because in many ways I saw – a couple of my peers in high school not graduate with me because they didn't pass. It was the gateway. 
when I graduated. Um, they they couldn't pass it, but they were pretty decent students in the classroom. So that's one thing. Like just also understanding the differences between standardized testing assessments and then the assessment that um, teachers have to do just from a day to day basis with with classwork, right? And then on the, the the other end of that spectrum is also thinking through, you mentioned it earlier, that we're kind of trained to just regurgitate and hold this information in our head until the end of the year so that we can pass this test. Um, and I know that that influences a lot of teachers' creativity, how they want to teach to that point that you just made about transferring experiences from one grade level to the next or from one school to the next. Um, so how do you think, like, I guess what would be the ideal situation, right? Um, when it comes to standardized testing. And I know that is, I know that's a kind of big question. It's kind of broad, it's heavy, but it's just something that you think we can realistically say, we don't necessarily need this. We want to allow, we want to kind of have like this baseline level of assessment and allow our educators to really present a curriculum, right? That supports um, education, of course, but overall student development and not just a statistic for the sake of measuring how well this school is doing. Man, I swear, if I knew the answers to that, I'd probably be very important. And <laughs> um, But, you know, I think about when COVID happened. Yeah. So many prestigious schools way, were, like, were waiving the SAT and the ACT. And so to like, again, going back to that other thought of like, like do we act like still need the ACT? Do mm -hmm. we still need the SAT? Like I have friends that have, have graduated college, have received masters and their ACT was not one that would, I mean, it's just very, very low, right? Yeah, not no, I get it. Yield a ton of it, like opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so, I think it's, I think the time is now that we name that those academic tools are just oppressive tools that we use to keep groups of people out. Like, let's, like, let's just call it for what it is. Like yeah. assessments, like we don't want to standardize everyone. Cause like, if we wanted to standardize everyone, then we would standardize education. Like regardless of if I live in Wyoming or Tennessee, we would have the same experience if standard standardization was important. Like, that's actually not like what you want me to do is like you want us to take the same test that requires us to access different levels of knowledge that assumes that we know similar things and have had similar experiences. But like, no, there's so much bias and racism that's, mm -hmm. that are in those assessments. And I think we just need to name like as a country that like, hey, we've actually used those tools to keep black people out of certain you know institutions. Um, and so like, I, I honestly, I do, I think standard standardized tests are like a super antiquated way of assessing whether or not that I'm good enough to go to your school or not. I think there are other ways of measurement. Um, I think looking at a student's like holistic academic experience, yeah. like all throughout high school and considering like the level of difficulty, I put those in like air quotes, but like, I think that's a far more indicator, like a better indicator of if I am college ready and it's like, well, let's actually like, let's talk about like, what does college ready mean? Because I know people that I went to school with that were like very great, like awesome taste test takers. And like they had the 4.0s, but like they didn't finish. Yeah. Like, they actually dropped out or their undergraduate GPA 
is embarrassing to even share. You know, it's like, so what, like, what is the indicator and like the way that we're preparing students, like, is this the right way to get them to and through college? Um, and then, and then I think about like, well, kind of shifting gears. Like, I just, I don't think that we talk about trauma enough with our students mm. the trauma that they have experienced and the way that that negatively impacts their life and yeah. academic experience. And I think we have to factor that in as well. Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying like, Oh, write an, write an essay about like your trauma, but it's like, well, that would put you at a disadvantage, right? Because like, we know that like trauma impacts the brain in a negative way. And like that could also impact your academic experience, which can then yield, you know, to you not being able to have access to certain opportunities because like your grades aren't good. Um, but yeah, man, I have so many, so many various thoughts. I think like we just need to name that like standardized tests like aren't actually that important, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah and I think, I think that's a great segue for us to kind of round out and kind of end this conversation. Um, Cause I want, I kind of want your thoughts on, we've, I know probably me and you specifically, but it's, it's still out there. You know, our generations were groomed to do very well in school so that we could go to college. Right. And it seems as if we're in this new generation where they're kind of, you know, there's all these kind of memes and posters and billboards, whatever you want to call it. That's really pushing entrepreneurship. That college is a scam. You don't, you know, you, you, you get all these degrees for, and you have all this debt. And while some of that is true, right? Like a lot of students have student loan debt. It's just something that's crazy. I don't believe college is a scam. Um, I, I hold three degrees. So I, definitely couldn't believe that um but how do we navigate like this new atmosphere where they're kind of getting mixed messages right they're in school and they're hearing college readiness let's go and while I do believe there are students specifically um cater toward like the trades and things of that nature I also believe that we do them a disservice if we kind of allow them to simply buy into jumping straight into entrepreneurship or jumping straight into whatever without any level of preparation so how are we navigating this kind of duality in what's next post high school um i i'm in my third program so i also do not believe college <laughs> is scam. um i think what we don't do enough of is sharing the holistic picture of every pathway yeah i think college is glamorized in a way that falsely illustrates this idea of 100 percent like, all I got to do is go to college and I'm 100% there. Like, all I have to do is go to college. Um, but actually, it's so much more to, the, more to that. It's like, you have to go, you have to get through college, and then you have to actually have the skill set to use what you've learned yeah. and apply it. And I think the application piece is what is missing. Like, we get students to college and other students that go to college, like they may not finish because now they're operating in this new system that they weren't prepared for. And they experience all of these different choices that negatively impact them or positively impact them. Well, not through 12th grade, like we didn't give students a lot of like, here's your schedule. This is what you take. You met with your counselor. They told you exactly, I'm sure you can opt in or opt out of honors program, but like your curriculum was your curriculum. You had mm -hmm. in that. Um, you know, like maybe you had choice with extracurricular activities, but like the worlds are vastly different. Um, and then like 
pausing here and going back to that previous conversation of like standardized assessments, it's like, well, you want me to take an assessment in May to see if I've learned anything or to see how much I've grown. Well, you should know that by May. Like mm -hmm. you should have tools put in place throughout the year that progress monitor on like my learning and my development. So we shouldn't be waiting, you know, all year to figure out where I am. Right. And then like we take the assessment in May, school is out in three more weeks. Those assessments really don't have any impact on that next year. It doesn't have impact on if you are promoted to the next grade or not. It's just, we just want to see where you are. Um, and they're not, those assessments aren't embedded in your development in that subsequent grade. So taking it back to the current question, I think we have to increase awareness of all options. Like, yeah. you know, if, if I'm talking to a freshman in high school, I'm saying like, here are the different pathways, right? Like this pathway yields this and, and here are the pros and cons. Whereas this pathway yields this, here are the pros and cons. Like, I, I don't think it's my place to impose my belief on yeah. you. It's my duty to let you know what's out here. And I think like, when I think about our high school at KIPP, now we have this program called KIPP Through College and they get, it's a class that they take every year, freshman year, sophomore year, junior and, and senior year. And it's a comprehensive program. And what it does is it increases their awareness. And like some of these students have, have heard of colleges that I never heard of. Mm -hmm two or three years ago, right? And, but in addition to that, like, they also talk about those other pathways like trade and, you know, the military and entrepreneurship. Um, and yeah, I'm right there with you, like, for sure. Like, if you jump right into entrepreneurship, like, as an 18-year-old with no college degree, like, society is going to perceive you a certain way. And honestly, I don't know if society is ready for it. Right. But I think I'm lying to you if I say you can't be like you can't be a successful business owner right mm -hmm. out of high school because like I know that's not true because I see on social media every day like an 11 year old or a 12 year old you know starting a business Thanks, yeah viral um, but my my takeaway is like we cannot limit our students under like our own frame of understanding like we have to expose them and like they have to stand on our shoulders and see further ahead than we can. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the illustration that's not happening across the board. It's happening in your more affluent communities or it's happening in households like yours and mine when we have parents that went to college or we have parents that understand the importance of, you know, of, of creating, you know, access and awareness. But it's like, really like I want students to have a choice filled life. Like I want them to know that like, you can go to college, you can graduate from college, and you can be very unsuccessful. And you can be in debt for the rest of your life because you, you have not been taught how to apply your knowledge in the real world setting. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's what happens, man. Like we have kids go to college every year, change their major five and six times. And they're like, man, I don't know what my purpose is, right? Like, you don't have to be 18 to, to answer that question. Like, you know, I'll push back on people all the time that say like middle school students are too young to answer that question. That question is too big. Well, like, no, like we're actually placing limitations on them. How do we know that it's too big? Because no one asked us at eight and nine years old what our purpose was, but it's like, no, we have to actually like ask those questions sooner. And in, like, we're asking the questions, but we're also increasing their exposure 
to various pathways, man. And it's like, that's just like, a, a, it's a tragedy. Thousands of kids are graduating from college and they're lost. They don't know what they want to do and they don't know how to apply that, that skill set um, across different, you know, experiences or across different, um, just like ways of thinking. No, that's, 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 that's all great. Um, because I think something that you said made me think is that we can't always make uh, the anomaly the standard, right? And it goes back to the point that you made about, like, to me, education and success cannot be standardized. It should not be standardized anyway, right? Because to your point, you can have this degree. Like, I know people who have multiple degrees too, who are just not that successful. They've just been really great students for whatever reason. And I know people who have, like they, they only have the bachelors um, and they're doing really well right now. And then people who did not go to college at all, who are doing really well. And those who are struggling, who are, you know, have really low paying jobs or whatever, you know, whatever you see success as. So I think you're absolutely right. We have to give them the options. We, we can't pigeonhole them in, but we also have to defeat all the stereotypes that's associated with every option too. Like college is not a scam. Entrepreneurship is not the only way. Um, because I've always said to friends, I believe that if you have a business that you should be able to develop it and go forward. But if all of us, every single person on this earth was an entrepreneur, then who's going to, who are we selling to? Who's going to help us work? Who's going to, who's going to be the people mm -hmm. that we employ? Um, so I think we, I think we're like really dishonest and sometimes unrealistic about yeah. how we present options as well. Yeah, I think that's like the key there is like we are dishonest and we're not transparent because mm -hmm. we have an agenda as educators that we're trying to push. Um, and like, I think that it's like so critically important for students to know what their options are. Like mm -hmm. I had a dollar for every time I've heard, you know, one of my friends say like, man, I wish I would have known that sooner. Or, I wish I, I wish I had exposure to that a lot sooner. I wonder where I would be. And it's like, we have to increase exposure and we have to let, you know, students know that like, yeah, you can go to college and you can be successful and live a choice filled life, but you can also go to college and be unsuccessful and be in debt, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can start a business and be really successful and, you know, surpass like all of your family members in terms of like wealth, but you can also, you know, be an entrepreneur and fail a thousand times and never be successful at it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I like we have to be real and like, we have to be like, like, like unapologetically real and like show them here are different experiences that people have. And it's like, we need to most importantly teach students how to apply what they know to like mm -hmm. their real world experience. No, that's real, bro. And, um, we're going to first, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me here and having the conversation. Um, I think we probably can go on for a, a lot longer um, because really the one thing just, just a, a inside note about me is that I'm about to start studying is uh, affordable housing policy is kind of my, my, my juice. Right. But what I really want to see is that when I was at Habitat for Humanity, Georgia Tech did a very interesting study that families who ended up getting Habitat homes got out, you know, were able to have affordable rents or mortgages rather saw higher increases in um, retention rates and graduation rates than those who were not able to get affordable housing. So now I'm trying to figure out what that link is to community, de community development that doesn't displace um, and how that affects education versus those who do not have access to those community development resources. I mean, and generally we do know that if you, you know, are a little bit more affluent or have more resources, then generally you have greater educational outcomes, but to really study it is something that um, 
it's really like a heartstring for me. And um, so this yeah. is why this conversation was super, super important. And um, just grateful to have you on, man. Appreciate you taking time to do it. Yeah, man. Thank you for creating the space for us to have this conversation. I think um, it's definitely a conversation that we can have for, for days and weeks. Um, and I think more people have to have this conversation. I think what's even more important is that we bring people that aren't educators into this conversation. Yeah. People that can impact the movement and change that are in other rooms, doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, engineers, um, artists, you know, creatives, like, you know, like me and you can have this conversation and nine times out of 10, like we're going to agree on philosophy and all of the things, but like, really we need more people from various backgrounds that have different viewpoints around this table to have this conversation. So that way they can then go to their homogenous networks and have the same conversation so that way we can bring the right people um, in the room to, to really incite change. I think you just um, sparked an idea or something. We need to, we, we need to make something happen, man. Um, Absolutely. So as an educator, I'm going to throw this one on you. What are, what, what is Robert doing for self-care? Um, so you follow me on the gram. Yeah. And, um, I like what helps me, you know, re-energize or renew is spending time with my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. uh, she is the most important person thing in my life. And, and we, we have a great time on the weekends, like the weekends, like I don't open my laptop, like I'm all hers. And, you know, we go out, we brunch, um, we do different things. And that, like, that helps me uh, renew. Um, and, you know, that's something that I really cherish and something that I protect. So that's kind of how I'm, you know, helping myself in this whole self-care. I, I, oh, and then we're also working out. Um, that's okay. something both identified as a growth area for us. So in addition to like what I just mentioned, like four days out of the week, we go and work out with our closest friends. Um, and it's something that we do, you know, like something that's like been super consistent over the last six weeks. And we're actually going to do it right after this call, man. It's so like, that's kind of been something that I've looked forward to every day. It's like, man, like at least I'm, you know, I could have had the, the craziest day, but at least I'm going to work out uh, with my folks later on. So like, that's been super helpful. That's what's up, man. And um, y'all, y'all are a beautiful couple, and um, definitely having that. that time. Um, me and my wife are finding pocket life. We've been stuck in the house together since March, so mm -hmm. it has really put love to the test. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but it's also finding those pockets of time where we can renew our love and our relationship, and getting away from those kids. Like, thankfully, her mom lives here in Atlanta, so we're able to. Yeah. Um, you know, ship them off, even if it's just for a couple of hours that's so, awesome. that, so that we can renew and continue to rediscover each other. Um, I think that's one thing that Rona has given us as well. Um, but that's dope, man. So before we get before we're absolutely done, tell the people um, how they can follow you, how they can keep up with you and maybe some things that you might have going on in the pipeline. Yeah, man. Um, so I you hit me up on LinkedIn, Robert N. Wallace Jr. I'm definitely trying to. That's something I, I want to get better at. It's like, yeah. My LinkedIn space is just neglected. You know? <laughs> I'll up, like I'll update, you know, my job title. And if I, you know, go back to school, I'll update that. But man, I don't share enough. I don't like, I'm not active enough on there. So that's like a, a community or, or a space that I'm really trying to redevelop. Um, so yeah, definitely hit me up on there and, and message me if you want to have this conversation. I think like these conversations, like I mentioned, are super helpful for us to have. 
but like I push both of us to like attach this conversation to an action, right? Mm-hmm. We have such great dialogue, and then like the next day we just resume. Yeah, that's true. We, like to wherever we were, and so it's like we we gotta make sure that we in some way, no no matter how small or large, but are attaching actions to these conversations. So definitely hit me up on LinkedIn, Robert and Wallace Jr. That's what's up, man. So we're going to get ready to wrap up this conversation and go into our final segment that we call the benediction. You couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Uh, you could never, ever bring me down. Couldn't do it then. Couldn't do it now. Wow. What an amazing episode of conversation that we had about the importance and relevance of education. As many of you know, I think we said it during the podcast that the educational system has been the bedrock specifically for the black community. I remember oftentimes bringing a report card home and my grandmother saying, if you can get it up here pointing at my brain, then no one can ever take it from you. So it is in these times where we understand that there are definitely alternatives to traditional education, but specifically for the K through 12, we have to make sure that we're maximizing our efforts with our children and also presenting them with alternatives and proper preparations and skill sets and all that comes with getting ready for life, right? And a lot of that needs to happen when they're being molded and shaped the most within the various institutions that they are a part of. So I really think this was a great conversation. Again, I want to thank my boy Rob Wallace for coming on, providing his expertise. And I'm so excited that he was able to be a part and really share and give us some inside info and thoughts and perspectives on education and what we can do as a community to make sure that we're pushing the needle forward. All right, let's go ahead and pray and get out of here. God, we thank you. We bless you for this day. We thank you for another Sunday. And we really want to take this time right now to pray for all of our educators, every teacher, professor, adjunct, TA, everybody within the school system. We want to release special blessings over them. God, we ask that you continue to touch them, give them wisdom, give them grace, give them patience, especially as we're navigating this new normal of virtual and distant learning. So God, right now, we also pray for our students on every level that they are able to retain information that they're able to apply it that they're able to find joy that they're able to be motivated in the midst of what is not normal for them that they're able to adjust and adapt well so that they can be successful that the computers and technology does not become a barrier to their success but it actually creates a creative way for them to move and navigate through the educational system. We actually still pray for parents too, um, as they begin to deal with and figure out how to best be active in their children's education as almost surrogate teachers during this time of virtual learning. God, we love you and we bless you. We pray for safety over our schools and over our children, even for the ones who are in person. We ask that you continue to look over them, protect them, and that your blood covers them. God, thank you for each and every listener that is on this podcast and listening to this Sunday school session. We pray special blessings over them. May this weekend be one of safety. May this weekend be one of relaxation. And may this weekend be one filled with joy and peace. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all again for joining us on the Jigsaw Podcast. Super excited that you're able to be here. As always, catch us every Thursday. You know where to find us. 
Apple, Google, Spotify, all those good places. And we will see you next Sunday for what is our last official episode of Sunday School. Um, I think very soon we'll begin to see and figure out what's going to be next for this segment. But I've definitely enjoyed the ride. I've definitely thank you all for being here with me. So until then, be blessed and do not let this world, do not let life um, stress you out. Do what you can while you can, but whatever you do, don't get caught with your work undone. Happy Sunday, y'all. See y'all next week.